I need someone who is willing to, between the three of us, me and the two volunteers, I need two people who are willing to, whoops, throw my phone on the floor. Uh, to hold this broom and one of us to limbo underneath of it. <laughs> so does anybody want a limbo? If not, I will take one for the team and I will do the limboing. So I need two volunteers. I'll hold. Alright. How about the hands? You can come up and hold. I will I will move. You want a limbo, Deb? Hold the broom. You want to hold the broom? Alright. Alright. You want a limbo? Okay. Alright. Take up a special offering for you. Alright. So what I'd like you to I'd like you to hold the limbo bar where you think uh, someone who is good enough at limbo can do. Come on, don't let me pass it. Okay, you know what Oh, God. I think you can do that. All right, let's see. Oh, oh yeah, he's got this. Something cracked. He's got this. If he didn't have his gown on, he definitely would have it. Oh, yeah. At this point, you're probably wondering, why are we limboing in the middle of church? Well, I think a lot of ways that we think about the laws of God, the commands of God, are the same ways that we play limbo. That we play it, that we view these laws and these commands from God as if they were maybe not a game, but more of a contest, or at least a regular test. To see uh, whether or not you are good enough at what is expected of you. How low can you go or how high can you go in terms of being good and answering to God's commands and laws. And it's a way of determining who's in and who's out, who wins and who loses. If you are good enough at keeping God's commands, then you get rewarded. Either in life or you get that golden ticket to heaven. And if you are bad at it, if you fail at these tests of God's commands and laws, then you get curses in life, or you get sent to not heaven. Well, I want to say that God's laws and commands are not like the game of limbo. It's not merely a test to see if you are good enough. That these laws and commands of God, that they have a purpose. And the way scripture describes them is that they are meant to bring us life. Jesus goes on from there to say it's so that we might have life abundant. Our Jewish siblings and God have known it for a long time that the commands of God are a blessing for us, a gift from God. But somewhere along the way, most Christians, I think, have seen it as nothing more than a test to see if you're good enough. With no inherent blessing. Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are on their way into the promised land, about to be their own people, live in their own land, have their own home, and they get to make their own rules. Because for hundreds of years, they had lived as slaves in Egypt, and they had to abide by the rules of others. But God gives them rules. And the rules that God gives them, God lays out and explains the purpose of them in this reading. God says, I've set before you life and death, prosperity and adversity. 
Choose life. Choose to draw nearer to God. Choose to follow God's commandments, and you will find life. If you don't, you will find death and adversity. And I think many of us, including myself, have been conditioned to hear these words as a threat. God is giving us a test, we might think. Do the commandments, and God will reward us. Don't do them, and God will punish us. Life or death, make your decision. But what God is saying is that by doing these commands, you find life in themselves. That it raises the dignity and life of yourself and others. And we can look at the Ten Commandments are an easy one to go to. I won't belabor the point, but you shall not murder. It promotes life. But then look at some of the others. You shall not covet. You don't want to covet what your neighbor has. Because if you're constantly comparing yourself to your neighbor, constantly wanting what you don't have, you're never satisfied with your own life. And your God wants us to have life and to have it abundant. You shall keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God wants us to have rest. Because if you're working yourself constantly, you end up working yourself in misery or sometimes sickness or even death. God wants us to have life. You shall not steal, you shall not lie or bear false witness. All of these things make for a better, a more just society, one in which we can have more trust for one another because we know we're not stealing or lying. God wants us to have life. And then there are all those many times repeated throughout Scripture where God commands that we love and have compassion for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner in our midst, the stranger in our land, people who are vulnerable, people who are in need. God wants us to have life, all of us. When we get to the reading of Jesus, what's often called the antithesis. I think of it as uh, Jesus is amping up the laws of God. And they can sound really intimidating when Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I say to you, it's ten times worse. And I think what Jesus is doing here is not how we usually think of it, but Jesus is just showing us how difficult it is to keep the law. But he's showing us what the purpose of God's law and God's commands really is. That it's not just a list of do's and don'ts to see if you pass the test. But it's about transforming lives. It's a matter of the heart. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, that you shall not murder. And you might think, great, I haven't done that. Check that off. I still have my golden ticket into heaven. But I say to you, Jesus says, that if you hate one of your brothers or sisters, if you call one of your siblings a god a fool, you might as well have committed murder. It's the same kind of thing. And Jesus says that because he wants us to have life. He wants our hearts and our lives to be transformed. So that we can have good and meaningful relationships with others. That we don't hold on to grudges until they destroy ourselves and our neighbors. That we offer forgiveness as best as we are able to, so that we might have life together. 
Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. It's not enough to just technically keep your marriage vows. But Jesus gets at the heart of it all. It's about being faithful to each other as human beings. That we treat each other with dignity and respect as full human beings. Worthy of love. And not treat each other as mere objects for our own self-gratification. In this case, as sex objects. Jesus wants us to see each other and be in awe of the beauty of one another of the passions and the talents and the personality that God gave each and every one of us, and not to reduce another person to your own gratification as an object. And then Jesus says this stuff about adultery, or excuse me, about marriage, about divorce. And Jesus says the only permissible form of divorce or reason for divorce is for unchastity your spouse cheats on you. And believe it or not, this is actually, in the time of Jesus, this was a life-giving interpretation. Because at the time of Jesus, only a man could uh, divorce uh, his wife. They couldn't go the other way around. And when you had, uh, if you were divorced, you were in an incredibly uh, vulnerable position. A woman without a husband and without a father or a brother who is on her own and had to make her own way, in order to survive, had only two options, begging and prostitution. And at the time of Jesus, there were a lot of people that were saying, according to the law, according to my reading, anyone can divorce his wife for any reason. One of the examples that was given in one of these uh, old sources is if she burnt the bread that morning, your husband could divorce you and find somebody he thought was better. And who cares what happened to you? Well, Jesus wasn't going to have any of that. And so he said that divorce should not be done willy-nilly at the whims of any reason. But then comes the question of what about divorces that are needed for reasons other than cheating, for unchastity? I think especially what comes to mind is when people ask, what about people who are in abusive relationships, emotionally or physically abusive? According to a strict legalistic reading of this, it seems like Jesus is saying it's not permissible, as long as he's not cheating on you. But we remember why we have these laws. The interpretive lens, the litmus test for whether or not our interpretation is good and faithful is, does it bring life? Or does it bring death and adversity? God's laws, when followed, bring life. And so I think if someone came to Jesus and said, my husband is abusive, is it okay for me to divorce him and try and find a safe place to be? Jesus would say, Yes, of course. And I think if Jesus was getting technical, I think he would argue that the abusive spouse has already, uh, already broken those marriage vows and oaths in the abuse. The laws of God, the commands of God, were meant for bringing life, 
That's how we need to interpret them. And so when we are thinking about this, that is the way that we look at it. So any way that we are um, following these laws, and if they are not bringing forth life, if they are bringing death and adversity, we need to find a new way of interpreting them. If they are bringing harm to our neighbors, especially people who are vulnerable and in need, people who are ostracized and who are vulnerable, and people who are poor, and people who are hungry, and people who are hurting, if it's not bringing them life in our interpretation of Scripture, we need a new interpretation. We often think that the laws of God are whatever. How low can you go? How high can you go? Are you good enough? That it's just a test to see who is in and who is out, who passes the game. But the law of God is much more than that. The commands of God are more like the broom itself, meant to sweep away all that stands between us and God, us and each other, between us and life, to sweep away the hazards that are on our floor that we could trip on and hurt ourselves and possibly die. The law of God is meant to bring life. To sweep away what's wrong. And we mess up. And we fail. And when we do so, we choose death over life. And we do it over and over again. But we know that our God is merciful and good. That God forgives to the thousandth generation, scripture tells us. Over and over again, as much as it takes. That we see the depth of God's love and mercy in Jesus on the cross. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God wants to forgive us. So that we might again be offered life. Again, again, and again. God gives us life. Amen.